Well, let's open with a word of prayer and let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. And Lord, as we go to your word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, we don't want the words of men, we want the word of God. So Lord, give us ears to hear. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So to catch you up quickly and then we'll get into this morning's text. Uh, We've been looking at 1 Timothy for the last three or four weeks. And it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy, who's pastoring a church in Ephesus. Ephesus was known uh, when Paul first got there for its huge temple to the goddess Diana. And it was, a, it was a very godless place. And Timothy has now been the pastor for some time. And there's been some discouragement because there's false teaching that's taking place in Ephesus. There's a lot of people being distracted by the things of the world. There's nothing new under the sun. Can I get an Amen. And so he is encouraging Timothy on how the church should operate. So it's been very practical. And what we've seen the last several weeks, at first we saw he had to tell Timothy to stay. You don't have to tell someone to stay unless they're planning on leaving. So Timothy was ready to quit. And you know what? You need to pray for those in ministry because there are those that will get discouraged at times in our relationship with the Lord if we're not careful. So Paul's continuing to encourage him. And then he goes, in the first several chapters, he talked about the church should be known for prayer. He talked about the role of women in the church. He talked about uh, how uh, you look for church leaders and what the qualifications are for church leaders. And as he was giving all this practical advice to him, it's stuff that we all can apply to our lives. So even though this is what is called a pastoral epistle, which is written for pastors, it's something that applies to the lives of every single one of us in this room. And then last week, we're going to finish off with the last portion of last week's message. We talked about how God wants his people to be treated. We talked about how we, we treat older men in the church and younger men. Older men with respect, younger men as brothers. He's talking about how pastors should treat them, but it's also how we should treat each other. He talked about older women, treat them like with the same respect you would treat your mom, younger women as sisters with all purity. By the way, did a wedding yesterday for Julia and Brandon, and they had been courting since they were 15. They got married yesterday and they had remained sexually pure until their marriage. God be glorified. Can I get an amen to that? And that should be applauded. And then we talked about how uh, that we were to treat the pastors and as, as far as accusations. So let's finish the last few verses. We're going to pick up there in verse 21. We're going to talk about how the pastor should identify leaders in the church. So he's writing to Timothy and he's letting him know how he should raise up leaders in the church and how it should be done and how it shouldn't be done. And there's a thing that can happen in churches just like happen anywhere else. You can make your friends pastors if you're the pastor, if you want to. You can show partiality and just pick out, oh, that guy tithes a lot, we'll make him a pastor. And that guy's my buddy from softball, I'll make him a pastor, or I'll make him an elder. And it's comical, but sadly it happens, but it never should. Can I get an amen to that? You know, you don't make, someone's not called just because they're your friend, and someone's not called just because they give a lot, or whatever it might be. By the way, I don't know what anybody gives. Some of you are very relieved by that. I don't know what anybody gives. And I don't want to know because there's a danger that even if you knew in the back of your mind, you might treat people differently. And I don't ever want that to happen. Can I get an amen to that? So the last thing he says is how should pastors, uh, how do you identify leaders in the church? Pick up there in verse 21 of 1 Timothy 5, and then I'll give you the outline in chapter 6 when we get there. It says, I charge you before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the elect angels, that you observe these things without prejudice doing nothing with partiality. He's telling him how important it is to be a pastor and how you do everything. There needs to be a seriousness when it comes to serving the Lord. And he lets them know that the elect angels are watching, they're observing the things that you're doing, and you're not to do anything with any partiality. Guys, it's God's church that he's caring for, that we're caring for. And he is always watching along with the angels. And he says, do nothing without, with partiality, whether it be in discipling a leader that is already serving in the church or ordaining somebody and putting them in a role of ministry. When it comes to spiritual discipleship or ordination, it's not to be prejudiced against anybody or partial toward anybody. By the way, I would rather have us not do a ministry than have someone doing it who's not called to do it. Can I get an amen? 
People will say, Pastor Dave, why don't we have a singles ministry? You feel called to do it? We can talk about it. Why don't we have a married couples ministry? You feel called to lead it? Let's talk about it. Amen? Too often they say, no, you need to. I'm already doing what God's called me to do. Can I get an amen to that? I have a full-time job. I teach twice a week, and I, you know, I'm on the phone with you guys, and I love you guys. It's a blessing to serve, but there's other people in the fellowship who are called. So when you look for people to be used by the Lord, you don't look based on personality or personal partiality. You look for who God raises up. And when God raises them up, they'll do it whether they're ever ordained or not. They'll do it whether anybody identifies them in that position or not. Then he says here in verse 22, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Paul here is referring again to ordination. Ordination is just simply identifying what God has already done. If you've been going to church for any length of time, in the last year, we've ordained both Joshua and Pastor Doug, and they were guys who were already serving as pastors and had been for years. And God's the one who ordains people. We just recognize it. Amen? I get phone calls from people I barely know want me to ordain them. I'm like, bro, I don't ordain anybody. God does that, and I don't know you. Can I get an amen? And we need to see the evidence. He says, so don't do this quickly. It's a lot harder to take someone out than to put someone in. And so you wait, and how do you know if someone's truly called? They stand the test of time. You know, you've heard the parable of the sower, right? The so someone that seed lands on stony ground. It starts to bear fruit real quickly, but because it doesn't have a lot of deep soil, it dies out. And some people, they're a flash in the pan. They're real excited about the Lord for a few months. But real salvation is going to be seen, real spiritual maturity is going to be seen over time. Amen? Consistency over time in our relationship with the Lord. It takes time for the depths of one's character and calling to be revealed, seen in the character and gifting and faithfulness of servants. This is also true for friendships. It's true for business partnerships. It's true if you're dating somebody. You know, you don't want to date someone for 12 years. Can I get an amen to that? If you're courting for more than a couple years, you're going to hear it from me. I'm just telling you right now. Why? Because I believe that, you know, uh, if, especially if somebody's not made a commitment that we're going to get married, if, you're, if there's a time issue, I get it. But at some point, you need to make a commitment to somebody. But at the same time, don't commit too quickly. Because a guy can tell a bunch of lies for a while. Amen? Said every man in the room quietly. Amen? <laughs> Guys will tell you what you want to hear because they want you. But, they, but guys, over time, if he's really the man God has for you, that man will remain faithful over time. Amen? And the same is true in ministry. You lay hands on no man quickly. A lot of times, too, when young, younger believers get impatient. Well, I want to serve God in this position of authority. Can I encourage you, if you want to serve God, start by setting up chairs. Amen? Start by bringing water. God bless you, Brandon. You know, start by doing the simple thing. You see a need and you just do it. And that's a calling. Can I get an amen to that? There's a need to set up shares. There's a need in audiovisual. You see a need and you step up and you do it. And you don't do it to be recognized by men. You do it because the Lord puts it on your heart and you're being obedient to the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so he's saying, look, don't put people in positions of authority too quickly because it says there you could participate in their sin. Some people are really good at looking good on the outside, and the inside of their life can be a disaster. And, and that's true of all of us at some time, amen, where we look better than we're really doing. But the reality is that there's a, he's exhorting Timothy, look, Timothy, I know you got false teachers. I know you got a lot of stuff going on in, in, in Ephesus. And I know there's a temptation just to raise up more people. But don't do it. Don't raise up anybody too quickly. It isn't uncommon for a young man in the ministry to be a bit impatient. He wants to do great things for the Lord. He's anxious for pastors and elders to lay hands on him. Yet there's a danger if anyone waits to give themselves fully to serving the Lord until they're recognized. Guys, if you're called, you'll do it if no one ever recognizes it. If no one ever recognizes it, you'll do it anyway. Nothing changes. Usually when we ordain somebody, the people go, I thought that guy was ordained like four years ago. Because they're already living it. Amen. But notice what he says here at the end of that, at that warning. He said, nor share in other people's sins. 
Keep yourself pure. Paul's exhorting Timothy to take his time in ordaining people, lest he move and put someone in a position he's not called or gifted to, to be a part of, and potentially placing a false teacher or someone who's struggling with habitual sin in a place of leadership. We must, again, keep, seek to keep ourselves pure. We need to be eternally focused to recognize, again, we're not putting people in positions because they're our friends. We're not putting... A, you know, and I'll be honest with you, I've been a pastor 32 years and I've had close friends that have pressured me to put them in positions that they're not called or gifted to do. I've lost a few friendships over it. I had one guy tell me, if you don't do this, I'm leaving. I said, I'm going to miss you. Because the reality is, I don't do anything. God does it. And God hasn't confirmed it to me. So I'm sorry, bro. We love you. But no. You're not, that's not a calling or a gifting you have on your life. Look, if I got up here and tried to lead worship, you would find out very quickly, I'm not called to do that. Can I get an amen? And so he's saying to Timothy, use discernment. I know you're going through a tough time. I know that there's difficulty in this city that you're in. And I know you want to just raise people up. But be careful. Don't raise anybody up too quickly. And if you do, you'll be participating in their sinful behavior. Notice it's the same qualities that we talked about back in chapter three that people most often fall in. I've shared this a couple times. It bears repeating. In 1 Timothy 3, uh, he talks about qualifications for a pastor or an elder, anybody who serves in leadership. And there's 15 qualifications. 14 speak of character, one speaks of gifting. We focus on the gifting and we need to focus on the character. Amen? And the three areas where people fall the most, it says he needs to be husband of one wife. That means he needs to be a one-woman man who has eyes only for his wife. Uh, he's a man who's faithful to her. He's not flirtatious. He's not looking at pornography. He's not, you know, he hasn't been involved in adultery. But those are the areas where a lot of pastors fall. So take heed lest he fall. Another area, it says not to be greedy for money. I know several pastors who breaks my heart. I've known them and they got caught up. And before you knew it, they were spending church finances in ways that they shouldn't. By the way, we have a bookkeeper here who writes the checks, and I rarely write one because I want to be as far away from that as I can possibly be. I want to know where it needs to be spent. But as pastors, we're here to serve you guys spiritually. We're here to bless you guys and serve you and care for you any way that we can. But we need to be careful about the things we touch. And then lastly, it's pride. You get puffed up with pride. A lot of people want to be a pastor for no other reason than they, they think the title's good. You know, if I'm a pastor, people will respect me. Well, if that's the reason you're going into ministry, you've missed it because you should be going into ministry because God's called you. Can I get an amen? You're doing it because you can't do anything else. And you know what? The guys you truly are serving and are called to serve, they have servants' hearts. Discipline and ordination are based solely on God's biblical standards, not worldly uh, you know, influences and pastors must never let friendships interfere with the word of God. The standard for everyone is the same. There's no partiality with the Lord. And again, while it isn't always easy, we must never compromise what the word of God says in order to accommodate anybody. Again, it's a, there's a always striving for position and, you know, especially our church in Santa Cruz, as it got very large, guys would show up and let me know that God had told them that they were supposed to come to our church and lead up this ministry. I don't even know you. And the reality is, I tell people, if you want to be in ministry, just start serving where you are. Amen? Is if this is your church, just start serving here. Just start being faithful here in the most simple way you can. And let God stir up the gifts he's given you to use you for his glory. Now, here's a verse that gets taken out of context a little bit. Look at verse 23. Paul's talking to Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Now, back in, in chapter three, he said of pastors, they're not given to wine, which means they don't drink alcohol. Okay, that's Pastor Day's interpretation of it. And that's the interpretation for all of our pastors here because they're here. Amen. And so again, be not drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying Christians can't drink alcohol because you can. If you want to have a glass of wine with dinner, that's between you and the Lord and you have the freedom to do that. But I do believe people in, spirit, in positions of authority or positions of leadership as servants, we shouldn't because we could stumble somebody who has a problem with it. Does that make sense? 
Not all of you have that problem, but some people do. And so we want to lead by example. So then he tells them to take a little wine for his stomach. And people are like, aha, he's a pastor. He said he could have alcohol. Notice he's using it as medicine, not refreshment. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and he says, take a little. Now keep in mind, in those days, the water was contaminated. And what would happen often is uh, I have a parasite that I've had since 1993 that I got from the water in Russia. 27 years, at least that many doctors later, and every kind of procedure you can think of, and this thing's not going away, and God's allowed it to stay for a reason, so praise him in the midst of it. Amen? But I'm just telling you, if you get impure water, there's a thing called Montezuma's Revenge. You ever heard of that? So you have, inter- you have had, if, you know, yeah, if you've experienced it, you haven't forgotten. But here's the reality, that, w- there, that water can be impure. And so he's telling him to take a little wine for his stomach because it's got more purity and it will soothe his stomach. Now again, so that's NyQuil. Can I get amen? It's got a little bit of alcohol in it, but you're not, I hope you're not chugging a bottle of, you know, if you need something that, for your stomach or that's the way it's supposed to be dealt with. You notice though that Timothy had frequent infirmities and that's not uncommon for people who God's using in a mighty way. A lot of times the Lord will, you know, Apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh all of his life. He never tells us what it is. And I think there's a reason we don't know, because then it can apply to anything we're going through. Amen? Some people thought it was his vision. Some people thought he had stomach problems. We don't know what it was. But he prayed and asked God to take it away. And God chose not to. By the way, there goes that name it and claim it, grab it and blab it. And, you know, if I, if I claim it in Jesus' name, he has to heal me program. Can I get an amen to that? Well, if you just had enough faith, God would heal you. If you had enough faith, well, no. Did Paul have faith? The apostle Paul, by the grace of God, wrote most of the New Testament. This guy was, was we go through his life. He was enslaved. He was beaten. He was martyred. He was thrown at, they threw rocks at him until he died and he rose from the dead. I mean, this guy went through, this guy was a man of great faith. So it's not a lack of faith that, that's the reason why we're not healed. Sometimes God allows the sickness to remain that we might remain humble, broken, and desperate, and more usable for the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. So if God chooses to heal us, praise the Lord. And we should always pray for healing. Amen? Amen. The Bible says, there are any sick among you, call for the elders, just lay hands on them and pray. But know that sometimes God says no. Because you know what? It takes more faith, I believe, to remain faithful through the storm than to get pulled out of it. And so sometimes God allows us to go through it, and he was allowing Timothy to go through it. But notice that Paul gives him medical advice. He says, take a little wine for your stomach. Do you think they had prayed a few times? So yes, we pray, but yes, we still use doctors too. And chiropractors, amen? Amen. Praise God for our doctors. We need doctors. We need people to help keep us healthy. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Should we do a good job? You know, let's take care of it, amen? Let's, let's watch what we eat and all those kinds of things. But there's people on one extreme that they don't want to pray about anything. And then, then I've had people, we had a lady that died from our, that died, that was close to us, who worked with me. She got breast cancer and she said, I'm just going to trust God to heal me. And I'm like, well, God might use a doctor. Amen. Amen. One of the 12 apostles that traveled with him was Luke. What was Luke's job? He was a physician. So again, the Lord can choose to heal us just through prayer. But he may use the doctor, the chiropractor, the physician to touch you and to use what he's been trained to do to help heal you. Amen? In this case, he's telling him, take a little wine for your stomach, again, to settle your frequent infirmities. Last two verses. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. Verse 24. But those of some men follow later. So some people, it's evident if they're caught up in sin... And you'll see it right away. And there's others that are really good at hiding it. But the Bible does tell us your sin will surely find you out. Amen? And God's grace is not God's permission to continue on in that sin. Some people have been involved in whatever sin it may be, and you've been involved in it for a while, and it feels like you're getting away with it. And I just want you to know that's God's grace, and he suffers long, but he won't suffer always, and your sin will surely find you out. Amen? We had a guy that I worked with that had been uh, stealing from the company. Small things, too. So ridiculous. And he finally got caught and he got fired and he thought, how dare it? And, and he, you know, and then after talking to him later, he'd been doing that for years. And again, your sin will surely find you out. So somebody can look really good for a little while. 
And some guy can put on a Christian face and act like he or she, they love the Lord. And we can put them into a position too quickly. And then we can find out that their lives are a disaster. You know, whenever we ordain somebody, one of the first things we want to look at is their marriage. And nobody knows you better than your spouse. Can I get an amen to that? And, and when, if you ever think any one of the pastors in our church is perfect, just go talk to our wives and that'll be destroyed, okay? <laughs> because reality is we're all sinners saved by grace, amen? We're all sinners saved by grace. We all need the Lord. We're all desperate for him. And we need to stay humble, broken, and desperate. And then he says, likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. You know, some people, when they do good works, everybody sees it because that's the type of ministry they're involved in. But there's a lot of people that do a lot of good works that nobody else ever sees. And they're doing it for the Lord. And that's why we should always be doing it. Amen? We have people that were involved in the helps ministry and continue to be. And they do ministry when no one else is watching and no one else steps up. And they step out in faith and they do it. We have other people that are prayer warriors or praying. And we have other people that just serve in many ways that nobody else sees it. You know what? And sometimes I think that might be the best. Because then our, our motives are, are not for men. They're for the Lord purely. Amen? So sometimes... When someone sees the outside, we can be deceived. That's why we take time. So this morning's text, as we move now into chapter 6, so those are the verses I left over. We're not going to go through the whole chapter, so don't panic. But in this morning's text, Paul's going to finish this letter. And one of the things that really gripped me as I spent many days studying this chapter was the fact that he's telling us where our focus and our passion needs to be. And the reality is that everything about your life changes if you have an eternal perspective. Amen? If you have an eternal perspective, you're not walking around always in fear. You're not walking around always, you know, uh, scared to death about what's going on in the world around us. And, and you don't panic about things that are non-essential. And you don't look at the world and you don't keep a scorecard the same way the world does. See, the world says whoever's the most educated, the most wealthy with the biggest house is the most successful person. And I'm not saying those things are wrong in and of themselves. But guys, if those things come before Jesus, they're idols. Amen. So seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And we're going to see that as we go through chapter 6. And he's basically going to give some more practical advice about how your life looks different if you look at it from an eternal perspective. If you're thinking more about when you stand before the Lord on Judgment Day. I have been with people when they've died or been close to dying many times as a pastor. I get those calls. Hey, so-and-so is close to death. They want you to come and pray. And we go down to the hospital. And here's what I've never heard from someone who's dying. I wish I'd made more money. I wish I'd had a bigger house. I wish I had, had gone on that vacation or built that sw dream swimming pool or got my dream car. Not one time have I ever heard that from anybody. You know what I hear? I wish I'd done more for the kingdom of God and I wish I'd spent more time with my family. Amen? Your first, first ministry is your family. Your first relationship is the one with the Lord that impacts everything else. And so chapter 6 is him finishing off this letter to Timothy, and he's letting him know when you have an eternal perspective, your priorities change, your passions change, your focus changes, and then he's going to give some real practical advice. If you did grab an outline, grab it. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, one of my many, is set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When, who, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you shall appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. See, guys, we cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve God and money or God and the things of this world. You know, if anybody had a reason to have an eternal focus, it was the Apostle Paul. And you know why? I'm going to go through the outline just a second. The Apostle Paul, when he was in Lystra, back in the book of Acts, what happened to him? He was stoned to death. Now again, they, when they stone you, they don't try to hurt you a little bit. They're trying to finish the program. And they have big rocks that they throw at you until you stop moving, and they keep throwing rocks at you to make sure you're dead. Well, you we know what happened to the Apostle Paul, that the, the, other, the uh, apostles and other disciples were around him praying, and he got up. And some people think he just wasn't completely dead. I don't think that's the case. 
based on scripture. Because Paul would later say, I know of a man who year, you know, many years ago was caught into heaven and got a glimpse of heaven. And he says, you know, I don't know if he happened in a dream or if it happened for real, but he got a glimpse of heaven. And he talks about this man and he says, I know a man and I believe the man is him. And the reason I believe it's him is when he woke up, when he got up in Lystra, what did he do? He went right back into the city where they just thrown rocks at him until he died and kept preaching Jesus. You know why? Because if you've seen heaven, you're not afraid to go back. You can't threaten me with heaven. Amen? And so he, his life radically changed. Like, dude, I've seen heaven. It's better. If you throw some rocks. I'm right here. I won't even move. I'm right here. I'm going to keep preaching Jesus. You could not stop this guy. So the exhortation he gives to Timothy, grab the outline. I tell the message, a glimpse of heaven. We'll try to get through the first 10 verses. Living every day in light of eternity. How an eternal perspective changes how we view every aspect of life. First, it changes, really practical, how we work. Or if you're a student, how you do your schoolwork. Everything we do, we should do as unto the Lord. Amen? We should be the hardest working person in the building. We should be the hardest studying student. Everything we do, we should do to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ. And wherever you go, that is your mission field. Your classroom is your mission field or your workplace is your mission field. And when you go there, especially when people know you're a Christian, they have eyes on you. And Christians should be the hardest workers. We should be people that our bosses can completely trust. And they want 10 more people just like us. Can I get an amen? And what does that do? It gives glory to the Lord. Why are you so different? Because we have Jesus. Amen? When I worked in San Jose from 1996 to 2011, we had a Bible study in our office. Most of you know I have a full-time job. And the company I worked for, we started a Bible study, and they started calling us the God Squad. Because the Bible study kept growing. And then by the grace of God, all the people going to the Bible study happened to also be all the top salespeople. Now, some people started coming to the Bible study thinking, if I come to the Bible study, I'll become a top salesperson. <laughs> I remember one guy, one guy doesn't use his first name. He's like, a, Tony. Tony came in and Tony was a philanderer. He was hitting on every woman in the building. He was going out for martini lunches. His life, we, you know, I love Tony. His life was a train wreck. He shows up for the Bible study. I'm like, bro, we're having the Bible study. He goes, I'm, yeah, I'm coming because you guys are all selling a lot of stuff. So you guys are all making paper. That's what he said. I'm like, bro, that's not how it works. You don't come to Jesus to get rich. Can I get an amen? But you know what? You do your job as unto the Lord if you have Jesus in your life. And it wasn't because the people in the Bible study were, making, were doing well because, just because they were going to the Bible study. They were doing well because they were taking that work ethic that God had given them and they were applying it to their job and they were doing their job as unto the Lord. And every time we had an opening in our office, the VP would call me and say, Dave, you got any more of them Christians? You got any more of them people at your office? You just bring them in. We'll hire them right now. Guys, shouldn't that be our testimony? That's the heart. We'll see that. Secondly, how we handle God's word. God's word is not God's opinions. They're not the 10 suggestions. God's word is the final court of authority and everything rests on the word of God. Amen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by. So how do we handle the word of God? We'll see that this morning as being again in light of eternity. How should we handle it? Where we find contentment. We'll probably finish here. That's a, such a good one. Guys, it's godliness with contentment. It's great gain. The Bible says, where do you find your contentment? Is it having a big enough house, enough money in the bank account, uh, a good enough score on the golf course, uh, your hobby, whatever it is, guys, your flesh will never be satisfied. Amen. They asked J Paul Getty, how much money do you need to be happy? He said a little bit more. Because no matter how much you have, you always want more. But our contentment doesn't come from worldly things. It comes from our relationship with Christ. Amen? Amen? The next week, we'll see the battles that we fight. They're spiritual and eternal, not temporary. How we handle our finances. And then how we use the gifts God has given us. Let's pick up there in verse 1. We'll see how far we can get. And we'll stop there. The good thing about teaching verse by verse through the Bible uh, we can stop where we need to and pick up next week. All right, so let's begin there in verse one. A glimpse of heaven living every day in light of eternity. Verse one, let as many bond servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine 
may not be blasphemed. Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke. The word bondservant there in Greek is doulos, and it literally means a slave. Now, it does mean a slave by choice, largely, but it, can't, but it means a slave. Now, keep in mind, when Paul wrote this letter, that in the, Ro- in the Roman Empire at that time, there were, there were many, many slaves, and many, many of them were Christians. And these Christian slaves often were working for un- non-Christian masters. And he was telling them that even if you are an indentured slave, now here's how that could happen. One, you, usually you got so far in debt, you couldn't get out of it, so you became the slave to the person you owed the money to. Other times people would, were so broken, they would become slaves voluntarily. They would pay a price, and now they would come be a part of their family. And so it says if you're in that situation, if you have a master, you... Honor your master and do it as unto the Lord and do it so that God's name will be glorified. Now today, thankfully, at least not in our country, we we got rid of slavery a long time ago. Praise the Lord. Amen. That being said, though, the closest relationship you would have here would be that of an employer and an employee because we we are employed by them. And we, we serve, you know, we're serving our master, if you will, we're serving our employer. And as we serve our employer, how should we do that? Well, let me read that again. And first of all, he says, under the yoke. And again, the, that means bound to them. Uh, it speaks of both carrying a burden and being in bondage. You're carrying a burden. You have this job, you have a calling. And a lot of us, we feel that way. You go to work, you come home and you feel like, you know, you can take the burden off when you get home. But guys, we should do our job in a way that brings glory and honor to his name. So how should a Christian or a Christian slave work for an unbelieving master? And today, how should a Christian employee work for a saved or an unsaved boss? How should we do that? Well, remember again, when you walk in the door, you represent Jesus. Amen? When you show up in your office, the Holy Spirit just came to work. Amen? So when you show up, you're representing the Lord, and you need to view that not just as your workplace, though it is, but also as your mission field. Jesus is not coming to your office in the flesh, but he's coming in the person of the Holy Spirit in you. Amen? Billy Graham is in heaven now. He's not coming to your office, but God has you there, or your construction site, or your classroom, wherever you may be. And God has you there for a reason to be used for his kingdom and for his glory. And the same is true to a lesser degree when we're out in our neighborhood, when we're out walking the dog. I mean, we're, we're called to be salt and light of our neighborhood. But he's talking here about when you work for somebody, what should a Christian look like when they work? It says, count their own masters as worthy of all honor. You treat the, the masters and employers with respect. Let me just say this. As Christians, you should never be complaining at work. Ouch. Anybody here besides me ever complained at work before? Okay. But you know what happens? When we're complaining, when we're murmuring, we're blowing our testimony. Because as Christians, we should be the one. Look, I'm not saying it's always easy. Uh, you know, I've been in the same company for 32 years. I have coworkers that know I'm a pastor and they'll call me every time some new thing comes out. They're going to make us do that now. We're going to get it. And they start complaining and they call me. And I'm like, bro, you want to die on that hill? If you don't like it, you don't have to work here. Well, that's not, yeah. bro, if we're going to work here, let's honor Jesus. Amen. And we should do our job as unto the Lord and represent him well. Do you want to moan and whine and complain and badmouth your boss and then invite your friends to church? Amen. They should see the joy of the Lord in us. They should see us having an eternal perspective and living a life different than the world does. Guys, we should inwardly honor them and also show it in our outward conduct. Do your job in a way that will bring glory and honor to his name. It says this in in Colossians chapter 3. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Don't just serve when, when the boss is watching, a lot of us are working from home right now. I am. And you know, when you're working from home, unless they're really, you know, we have to go on Zoom meetings and stuff, but you know, you, you could be eating tacos and watching Netflix all day. <laughs> but as Christians, are we supposed to be doing that? What's the answer? You do your job as unto the Lord. 
You'd be faithful to, to you know, you're being paid, so you'd be faithful to work hard and do your job in a way that honors God. Again, what happens is that when you do that, your boss is blessed by it, and it becomes a testimony to the grace of God. This is written in, in history. Do you know that the Romans would pay more for Christian slaves than they would for non-Christian slaves? Because they knew the Christian slaves would work harder. Isn't that a great testimony? Amen? And, some, and I would say this too. Before you leave your job to go to another job, make sure it's the Lord moving you, not your discontentment. Amen? Because God has you there for a reason and you don't, a missionary wouldn't just pack up and leave one country and go to another country because things got tough. Stay there until God tells you to move. He may tell you to stay and be salt and light of that place. Amen? By the way, we need some Christians to stay in California. <laughs> All you watching on live stream from Idaho, we still love you. In Montana and Wyoming and Texas. And if God calls you to move, Go. But make sure it's the Lord and not just your circumstances. Amen? Because it's hard being a Christian in California. I get it. It's hard living here, period. Amen? But don't we need more salt and light here? It's a dark place. Let's keep the light here. Amen? And when we do our jobs, let's do it as unto the Lord. And let's not quickly be moved by our circumstances. Again, we should be the best workers in the building. Should cause, the, uh, cause others by... Uh, your actions, our actions, to want to know the God that we serve, not by uh, our poor work ethic and attitude that causes others to blaspheme the name of the Lord. If you say you're a Christian and you're doing a horrible job at work and you're showing up late and you're not honoring God, you're harming in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, that God you serve, you're a hypocrite. I don't, I don't, that's all you Christians are alike, and you hear that. And every once in a while, because I sell advertising, oh, and I, they know I'm a Christian the first time I meet them because I'm not shy about it. But when I talk to them about it, sometimes they'll say, well, yeah, I have these Christian subconscious always ripping us off. Oh, that just breaks my heart when I hear that. Amen? Guys, Jesus is always watching, and that's who you ultimately work for. You do your job as unto the Lord and do it in a way that God will be glorified. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. And I want to tell you something. When you're working for Jesus, you got a better attitude. Yeah. Amen? I'm doing this for you, Lord. My boss is kind of rough. That's all right. He needs Jesus. Shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Amen? But we should be surprised when believers who know God act like we don't know God because we're upset with the guy who doesn't know God. Can I get an amen? So the exhortation for all of us, as he's saying here, is we don't want the Lord's name to be blasphemed. We should have a work ethic that brings glory and honor to the name of our Savior. And you know what? Whether we have Christian employer or an unsaved employer, we should work hard. Look what it says in verse 2. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. Hey, Timothy, tell them if their boss... Now, here's the crazy part. Think about this. Sometimes slaves were indentured to other Christians. And the slave could be an elder in the church and his master, if you will, could be someone going to the church. So at church, this guy has authority over his life. And then when they go home, it's the other way around. And they were being taught how to treat each other properly. And he's saying, don't, be, don't despise the believer who employs you. Well, you know, he's a brother in Christ. You should cut me some slack. Well, no, you're a brother in Christ and you should work hard. Amen? You're a brother in Christ and you should honor your boss. And don't take advantage of the guy because he's a believer. By the way, you know, I have Christians come to my house and work on my house. And I don't look for them to cut me a, 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 a sweetheart deal. A labor's worthy of his hire. I actually pay extra. Can I get an amen? Whenever anybody asks me for anything, I always pay them more. Why? Because I want to glorify Jesus. Amen? I want to honor the Lord. And so the exhortation here is, if you have a believing master, don't just say, oh, well, he's a believer. We're going we're gonna to go have a four-hour uh, Bible study and we're supposed to be working. Have a Bible study after work or during your lunch hour. Amen? But do your job in a way that honors the Lord. Paul's saying when you go back to work on Monday, work hard and honor his authority, even if you are worshiping together. The eternal perspective is working to please God, not man. 
And again, we're one in Christ, but we're still under authority. God calls us to many relationships where submission is commanded. In the home, wives submit to your husband. In church, you know, submit to those that God's placed in authority. In the workplace, submit to your boss. In the, with the government, we submit to the police department. We submit to those in authority over us. There's only one exception when we stop submitting to them. When is it? When they tell us to do something contrary to the word of God. We obey God rather than man, but we obey the government until they tell us you can't have church. Amen? Amen? Or they tell us, you know, that you can't have your Bible in school. I was a youth pastor for 15 years. And by the way, by the way, how's taking the Bible and prayer out of school has been working out for us? Because when I was a young kid, we still had, uh, we still had Christmas programs with Jesus in them. And the biggest problem in my school was kids getting caught chewing gum. Now they're bringing assault rifles to school. Now they're bringing alcohol and there's gang and there's all this. Why? We, took, we take Jesus out and then we want to shake our fist at God that the schools are a mess. We can't say God bless America until America is willing to bless God. And we want God to be glorified and honored. And guess what? But here's what you can't do. They can tell you you can't bring your Bible to school. Bring it anyway. So bring it anyway. We can't pray at school. We used to meet around the flagpole with the youth group kids, and we would pray at the flagpole. And they would threaten, what are you going to do? We're going to keep praying. Amen. Amen? We obey the laws until they tell us to disobey God. We treat, and even when we're, even when we're going contrary to what they've commanded, we still treat those people with respect. Can I get an amen? I told you when we were at VOS, there were some threats a few Sundays where the police might show up to arrest me. And I said, if they do, I'll have a smile on my face. As soon as I hit the door, Joshua can take over. After they arrest him, Pastor Doug. They arrest him, up comes Tim. After they arrest him, Jeff's coming up to town. We're just going to keep teaching the Bible. Can I get an amen? Because we honor God, and we want to always honor him. Even when men tell us to disobey God, we honor God. But we always want to treat people with kindness and respect, even when they're acting contrary to what the Word of God says. Can I get an amen to that? Because we're not surprised when people don't know God, act like they don't know God. I will tell you this, the police uh, over there in L.A. County said, we will never arrest a pastor or any Christians ever. You've lost your mind. We're not doing that. <laughs> Amen? They know we're the ones that, that aren't letting all the prisoners out of jail. Can you imagine letting all the prisoners out and putting all the pastors in? <laughs> Is that a good look? Everybody, we're leasing everybody because the jails are overcrowded. By the way, if masks and safe spacing work, you think jail would be a great place. Amen? But he says, serve them because they're believers and they will be benefited. So we're called to serve others. And then he says to Timothy, teach and exhort these things. Be moved by the Holy Spirit, not by discontentment. Paul commands that Timothy teach and exhort those who were slaves within the Ephesian church, not to escape, but to be faithful right where they are. Now think about that. They could have escaped. He said, no, you stay. You stay and be faithful. That's where God has you right now. Guys, we're all slaves to the Lord, right? We're all indentured to Christ, amen? We're bond servants to him, servants by choice. So number one, in a glimpse of heaven, living in the light of eternity, how you ought to change, how do I change our perspective? The way we do our work, we do it unto the Lord, not unto man. We see our workplace, our schools, our mission field, and by being a Christ-like example, doing your job in a way that brings glory and honor to the Lord. Point number two, how we handle God's word. Look at verse three. What does he say about God's word? So I had somebody, I had somebody on Facebook uh, teaching me a lesson about what the Bible really meant. And uh, it was, you know, I was trying to be kind and loving. Somebody I used to work with in San Jose years ago who's not a Christian. And he goes, Dave, I appreciate your standing for your religious faith, but you're talking about you vote pro-Israel. And Israel's only been around since 1949. <laughs> Bro. Have you read the Bible? Obviously not. Have you taken a history class? Can I get an amen? Israel didn't become, it came back. Can I get an amen? And I said, and by the way, it was fulfillment of Matthew 24 when it happened. It was God's word, amen? He also told me, well, Islam treasures the Bible, so they're just as much believers in Jesus as you are. Uh, no, because they reject the deity of Christ, Amen. Guys, we need to know what the word says. Always respond in love. Never be a self-righteous, arrogant jerk. We don't need that. Amen? And I told the guy 10 times in our text back and forth, bro, I love you. You know I love you, right? I love you. And he goes, yeah, I know you love me. That's okay. 
So I'm going to disagree with you on that. Let me explain something to you from the biblical perspective. And I always try to do it graciously and went back and forth for a few hours. And I continue to pray for him. It's a divine appointment. So point number two, how do we handle God's word? It says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. He's saying if anyone teaches otherwise, he's talking about everything in the letter up to this point. Everything that he's taught about who should be in ministry and how the roles of women in the church and the importance of prayer in the church and all the things he's talked about. And he says, if anybody teaches anything different than that, if somebody comes with a different word, a different revelation, not just in regards to servants and masters, but again, everything he's taught so far. Paul had opened the letter with warnings about false teachers and others were teaching otherwise. And that was part of the problem in Ephesus. Teaching otherwise is contrary to the words of Jesus. I had a man when I pastored the church in Santa Cruz who came and showed up and he wanted me to teach through this book that was written by a man. And he said, well, we're all doing it in the whole county. I said, I'm not. He goes, well, no, you need to do it. We're all doing it. We're all committed to doing it. I said, bro, I'm not, yeah, I'm not doing that. I, I've got a book to teach through, and it's better. Can I get an amen? 66 books, 40 authors, three continents, three languages, over 1,500 years with one central theme, and no contradictions. How is that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? And then as we started talking, he told me, well, I'm not really, I don't consider myself evangelical. I said, what does that mean? He goes, well, I don't really, I, I, I'm more liberal. I go, okay, well, define that. Well, I just don't really believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. I said, so you're not a Christian. You understand that, right? Well, no, I, I believe. What Jesus do you believe in? Guys, when we elevate man's word above God's word, you're a false teacher. Amen? And what he's saying is people will come. And what he told me, I, I started quoting Jesus to him, and he goes, oh, that was 2,000 years ago. We know more about that than Jesus did. <laughs> True quote. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know more than Jesus. Bro, pray, bro, are you kidding me right now? The Alpha and the Omega, Almighty God, creator of the universe, always has been, always will be, said light is and light was. The one you will stand before on judgment day, you know more than him? Take heed lest you fall, bro. You're in trouble. Amen? And you want to teach that book? No wonder, because you haven't read this book. Amen? Look, nothing wrong with other books. You've heard me say it. They're vitamins. Christian books are vitamins. Nothing wrong with vitamins as long as you've already had steak and potatoes. <laughs> Can I get an amen? If you, eat the, if you eat a bunch of this and add some vitamins to help, that's fine. If you live on vitamins, you're going to die. You're going to starve. Amen? It says there, if he teaches otherwise... And again, not only from the pulpit, but informal, private conversations, pulling you aside. Oh, I've got a new word by you. You've heard me say it. If it's new, it's not true. Amen. And he says, does not consent with wholesome words. Could we use some more wholesome words right now? Could we just use anything wholesome right about now? Lord, help us. Amen. Wholesome is not a word that's used a lot. You know, wholesome words, doctrines that nourish the soul leaving the word of God to promote their own ideas. They substitute their words for God's word. And too many are getting away from the word of God. They're not giving the word of God its proper authority. The guy was having the, going back and forth with text. He goes, well, you know, the Bible's filled with contradictions. And I love, they always tell you that. And my favorite response is always, name one. And sometimes you'll see a different perspective in the Gospels where one shows one person at a thing, it's, the other one shows two. But it, it's never conflicting. Sometimes it's just more information. Does that make sense? So the Word of God is true. And the Word of God is accurate. And it does not contradict itself. But even the word, it says there, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which accords with godliness. God's Word was under attack then and it's under attack now. Look what's happened to our schools again. You know, we quit, we take Jesus out, and now the schools are a mess. We, we take Jesus out. Look, we got an election coming. There was one party that talked about the Lord a lot, and one that didn't mention his name once. Amen? And we have flawed people on both sides, but it's pretty clear to me. Can I get an amen? And you vote as you feel led, as the Holy Spirit leads you, but guys... If you're not, if you're not pro-life, I'm not voting for you. If you're not pro-Israel, I'm not voting for you. If you're not pro-God, I'm not voting for you. If you're not pro-religious freedom, I'm not voting for you. Can I get an amen to that? 
Here's the good news. No matter what happens on the third, Jesus Christ is on the throne. Amen? And, and if, if someone wins that we, many of us don't want to, God's still in control, and God's going to use that as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Amen? So guys, we put our faith in the Lord. We're not going to be overwhelmed. We need to go out and vote because I believe that's biblical. We should go out and vote biblical principles. It's the right thing to do. But the word was under attack then. And how is it under attack then? Same way it's under attack now. Some deny God's word. Some ignore God's word. Some try to explain it away. Some twist God's word. It's not enough to have interest in God's word. We must apply it and submit to it. It's not enough to just read this. You remember when the, when the Passover lamb, right? When the last plague in Egypt, they had to kill the lamb. But not only did they have to kill the lamb, they had to take the blood of the lamb and apply it to the doorpost. It's not enough to shed the blood. It's not enough to have the lamb. You must apply it. Guys, and it's not enough to believe that Jesus Christ is God. It's not enough to believe that he died on the cross. We must repent, surrender our lives, and ask him to come and rule and reign in our life, not just to be our savior, but to be our Lord. Then and only then are we Christians. Amen? So we can't just believe about him. Do you have a relationship with him? And that's the exhortation, is that they twist his words, and they say, they add to the word of God or take away from the word of God, and it's tragic. So how do we handle the word of God? If anyone teaches otherwise, if there's a false teacher, notice what it says about the false teachers that teach false doctrine. It says, he is proud, knowing nothing. You know what that word is? And if you translate it into English, without knowledge, it's ignoramus. Agnostic. That's what that word means. When someone says they're very proud sometimes, and I'm kind about, you know, well, I'm an agnostic. But you know what that means, right? And, you know, they'll be arrogant about it because I'm very studied, so I'm an agnostic, which means I don't know. That's what it means. I said, well, you know, the direct translation of that is ignoramus. So I'm not so sure. I'm an ignoramus. I mean, I'm not so sure that that's something you want to boast about. Now, look, let's be kind and loving. They need Jesus. Can I get an Amen. And we love them, we're kind to them, and I don't, I don't use that as an opportunity to jump on somebody. But we're, and so he says he's proud. Anybody who, who changes the word of God, or twists the word of God, or rejects the word of God, or tries to use it for their own you know, gain, it says that person is proud. And whenever you think of pride, who do you think of? Satan. Satan was cast out of heaven because he was arrogant, because he was prideful, because he believed that he could take God's place. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. How many of you besides me struggle with pride sometimes? We all do. Amen? We can all be prideful and we hate it in other people. When someone else is prideful, it's nauseating. You know, I played football through college. I have a hard time watching games right now because everybody's just so... Right? You make a tackle 27 yards downfield and you get up, beat your chest, point at your name. Stop it. They just want a title. The Lakers want a title. And the first thing LeBron says, I deserve my respect. Oh, respect is earned. It's not, it's not demanded. Can I get an amen? So pride, we see it in other people. It's nauseating. But we're prideful if we, if we change the word of God one bit. Amen? amen. And, and if we change the word of God, we don't know anything. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So if you don't fear God, you don't have any wisdom. Now, you may have knowledge about how to repair a car or how to you know, do a certain job, but that's not wisdom that only comes from above. Amen? And so there's no fear of God. There's no wisdom. That's why we don't go for advice from people who don't know God. Amen? Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. I get called sometimes to do marriage counseling after they've, been, they've gone to six secular counselors. It's not working. Uh, you, that was a waste of time. Find a counselor, whoever they are, that loves Jesus and knows his word. Amen? Amen? We need the word of God. He's the mighty counselor. And he says, you know, the word of God is the final court of authority. It's not based on your feelings or cultural acceptance. Amen? Amen. Well, Pastor... The Bible's homophobic. No, it's sinophobic. Um, amen? Do we love everybody who commits every kind of sin? What's the answer? Because we're sinners too. And we're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. 
But there are those that want to make us demand that we say that their sin is okay. And I you know I would never want to demand that my sin's okay because it's not. Anybody else who does, it's not loving to, to approve of their sinful behavior and say that we're being loving because sin leads to destruction. Can I get an amen? amen. So the exhortation here is, look, when they're teaching something false, they're proud and they don't know what they're talking about. And they can be arrogant in their total lack of knowledge. It says there, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy and strife and reviling and evil suspicions. Useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of truth, who suppose that godliness is the means of gain from such withdraw yourself. Now, he says, when someone is proud, the word literally means to see yourself as above. I actually love that. When I looked it up, the word proud there is to see yourself as above, to see yourself as greater or better than other people. And none of us is greater or better than any other person. We're all sinners. Again, we're saved by grace. We're new creations in Christ. We are now holy, not because of what we've done, because of what he did for us. And he gets all the praise. Amen. But we need to look at other people and say, there before the grace of God goes me. And we need to show people the love and grace and mercy and let them know that Jesus loves them. He died on the cross for them. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Amen. But there are those that will use religion for their own gain. That's what it says at the end of the verse there. We have anybody, anybody do anything like that right about now? Using religion to make money? Turn on Christian television. Or I should put quotes around it. Now, there's some things on Christian television that are solid. There are a lot of things they're not, they're not Christian in any way, shape, or form. Amen? If you, ever have amnesia, if you ever have insomnia and you turn the TV on at 3 in the morning, you're going to see the circus of Christian television. And there's one show that's on there all the time, and you taped it 20 years ago, and all he does is ask people for seed offerings. And I went online, I looked, and this guy's making millions of dollars a year just running reruns. Oh, God told me to send a, th- a seed offering, and I'll bless you. You know what they're doing? They're taking the word of God and using it for their own gain. And what does it say about that at the end of that verse? What does it say? From such withdraw yourself. Have nothing to do with them. Amen? Guys, salvation is a free gift. Amen? It costs Jesus everything. It costs you nothing. Amen? He suffered and died as if he lived your life, so you could be rewarded as if you lived his. He's a gracious God, a loving God, and a merciful God. But he's letting them know these false teachers, they need to be dealt with. They don't know anything. They love to get into disputes and arguments. I'm, t- I- I'm, d- I'm done doing it. Now look, I will have a discussion with an unbeliever. I'll do that because they don't know the Lord and they don't know any better. And I try to be as loving and kind and gracious as I can. And that text inter- interchange at the end of it, I said, I love you, bro. And he said, I love you too, bro. And we're going to keep talking. And I knew, so we wouldn't want to be kind of, but I'm, I'm, I'm done with having, trying to have, guys want to debate me about every minutia issue in the Bible. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. Because here's what happens. We spend so much, they spend so much time trying to convince me of their hyperlapsarian view of the whatever, whatever thing over here that, I mean, when's the last time you shared your faith with an unbeliever? Amen? Now look, there's nothing wrong with us having discussions about theology so that we might grow. But it's always the people that I barely know that send me 74 pages they want me to read and give them a quick response. I don't have time for that. I'd rather, I'd rather read 74 pages of this. Amen? And he's saying there's those that will just get into disputes and they want to debate. And when's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? You're too busy trying to take a Christian pastor and have him see your point of view on a, on a not a secondary, a third dairy, a fifth dairy issue that is, is not salvific, has nothing to do with salvation. And you want to get in debates and, and talk for the next 65 hours about it. Why don't we go down to the beach and walk down the, walk down the beach and hand out tracts and tell people about Jesus instead? Amen. Amen. Now, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And I'll be happy to discuss any doctrine with any of you because you come to church here and I'm your pastor. I'm here to serve you. But the people that always want to debate me don't go to church anywhere. It's amazing how that works. They just want to debate every pastor out there that will even bother to respond. And there's just this, there's this, that's what he's talking about. But disputes and well, they want to argue and fight and bicker about everything. And again, we can have a clear common, if you, have a, if you don't understand the Trinity, we can talk about that. If you struggle with something else in the Bible, we certainly can talk about that. And as we teach verse by verse through the Bible, we're going to talk about that. Whatever it is. That's why the whole counsel of God is so good. 
So he sees himself as above. We should never see ourselves as above. Again, the worst possible case of pride when I see, again, above someone who, who esteems himself above the word of God. I ran into some Mormons yesterday. I went to get something from Chipotle after the wedding to sit and finish studying for today. And some Mormons came up and we started talking. And, and when you ask them, what is your position on the word of God? Oh, we believe in the word of God. We believe in the Bible. If the Bible and the Book of Mormon contradict each other, oh, they don't contradict. Well, if they did, because I'm going to show you a bunch. But, but do they? If they do, which one takes precedence? And they try to push back. And I go, look, if it's the Book of Mormon, our conversation's over. Because I have nothing to say to you. If you're going to always go to the Book of Mormon as your sign of, of a court of authority, then there's nothing I can tell you. If you're willing to make the Bible the court of authority, we can sit down and talk until the sun goes down. Amen? Guys, this is the court of authority. When you elevate your word above God's word, that is the ultimate pride. Amen? Joseph Smith is a false prophet. We love the Mormons. We want to see them saved. He's a false prophet who elevated himself above the word of God. I have a new revelation that replaces the word of God. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they change the word of God. To, they have their own translation of the word of God. They elevate their word above the word of God. Anybody who esteems their word or their value above the Lord and above his word is somebody we should have nothing to do with. Amen? That's what this says. Pray for them. If you have an opportunity to speak into their lives, it says they know nothing. Proud, knowing nothing. One of the commentators, and I'm not even going to say it, out of bounds. They're obsessed with disputes and arguments. The word obsessed literally is diseased in the original language. They're diseased with arguments. The fighting stops when the word of God is the authority for all who believe. Guys, we, we don't have to be angry and bitter with each other if we just go back to the authority and let this settle it. Can I get an amen? The word of God is true. We don't suffer for anything else. We're not going to get to point number three, so don't panic. So the word is... The word is not the authority to some, but their ideas are instead. And a lot of the reason people struggle with the word today is because they look at their own experience and then they make their own experience more important than the word of God. Now, I'm going to share this with you guys and we'll close with this. I know a lot of people. How many of you have homosexual friends that you love? I do. Friends, relatives, I do. And you look at them and you care about them and you love them. And then people will approach me and they'll say, well, he's always been that way or she's always been that way. They were born that way. Okay, well, first of all, we were all born sinners. Amen. Amen. And so it's hard because you see a person and you think that they're a nice person and maybe they're involved in a relationship and they both seem like nice people, but their relationship is contrary to the word of God. So now you either have to go with culture, feelings, and experience well, what does the Bible say? Amen? Somebody shacking up. They're, they're not married and they're sleeping together. What does the word of God say? Yeah, but we, you, know, we, you know, it's expensive. We gotta, well, what does the word of God say? Amen? Amen? Whatever. We can go down the list and we, and we look at the culture and we see things that are happening in the culture and we can make the culture above the word of God. And you know what that is? That's blasphemy. Amen? That's why we need to study that. Now, look, we want to be the most loving people on the planet. And, and I have a, a coworker who's a homosexual guy. I love this guy. I talk to him on the phone three or four times a week. He knows I love him. He knows where I'm coming from, and I pray for him. You know, he's molested as a, as a child by a Catholic priest, and it's tweaked how he lives his life. I have a burden for him. I want to see him saved. I don't walk around being a self-righteous, arrogant jerk, calling him names. Amen. That's not Christ-like. But when we start to, whatever it is, we had a guy in our office die just about 15 years ago. And the guy's life was a mess. And the guys on the boat were like, well, I'll see him in heaven. I'm like, yeah, bro, I, I hope so. Well, he was a nice man. I go, he rejected Jesus. I would witness to him every day. He would mock Jesus. He took his name in vain all the time. He cheated on his wife. His life, there was nothing Christ-like about it. Yeah, I hope he got saved in the last moments. We can always hope for that. It's not my job to, to determine someone's eternity, but by your fruit, they shall know you. Amen? And guys, too often we think, well, God grades on a curve. Right? Hitler and Osama bin Laden, right down here. 
I'm, I'm better than those guys. I'm glad you're setting a high, high bar for yourself there, Sparky. Amen. <laughs> but as I love to say to one of my coworkers, God doesn't grade on a curb. He grades at the cross. He doesn't compare us to other people. He compares us to Christ and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But yet, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he hung on the cross. He took all of your sin and mine upon himself so that you and I could be forgiven, so that our sin could be washed away, so we could be made new creations in Christ. See, every person that spends eternity separated from God is going to be putting their fist up to him, their whole, I don't want, any, I don't want it. We re- the Lord reaches out. I love you. I died for you. I'm not interested. You know what? I love you. I'd rather, I'd, I'd rather die than live without you. I proved on the cross. I'm not interested. I don't want it. 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 Especially in our country. We have more access to the word of God than anybody ever has in history. Amen? We got the word of God everywhere. We got Christian radio everywhere. We got hopefully Christians telling people everywhere. Amen. And we can't reject him our entire life and then be surprised on judgment day when we've told him we want nothing to do with him. And he sends us away from him because he doesn't know us. Amen. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to know that today, but also let today be the day of salvation. Again, the Lord loves you so much, you'd rather die than live without you. Look, I know this is practical stuff. I know some of it's kind of heavy compared to the world we live in today. But do you know when, when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed? Amen. When we obey the word of God, it's always better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. I thank you for everyone who's here today, none by chance, all by divine appointment. Lord, I pray that no matter what background we come from, that, Lord, we would recognize that we're all sinners. We're all in the same, we were all in the same place. We all desperately needed you. We were all lost without you. But, Lord, those of us who have been born again, it was just one day when we responded. Your Holy Spirit drew us. And we said, yes, Lord. We surrendered our lives to you. We asked that not only that you would forgive us, but that you would come and rule and reign in our life. Not that you would just be our Savior, but be our Lord. And Lord, because of that, your word tells us if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved to the glory of the Father. We're saved. The Father is glorified because Jesus died in our place. If you're here today and you've never given your life to the Lord, you may have been going to church a long time. You may have been going here for quite a while. But there comes a point where if the Bible says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. If you've never openly confessed him, if you've never just responded to an opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm not asking you to join a church, but just to come to a place where you're ready, where you're ready to say, okay, Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is God. I believe that he died on the cross. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe that he paid the price for my sin. And I believe that he's willing to forgive me. If you're willing to confess that openly before men, just raise your hand right now and I'll pray with you. Anybody at all. Don't leave here without him. Anybody. Let today be the day of salvation. He loves you so much, you'd rather die than live without you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord. I know for some people, some of these were difficult words today, but it's in the Bible, so we need to hear it. Lord, we be glorified. Help us, Lord, to be salt and light to a lost and a dying world. Help us to honor our bosses at work. Help us, Lord, to do our jobs as unto the Lord. Help us, Lord, to stand for the truth of God's word. Do it in love, but be unashamed of it. Be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said.